The sermon text for today is Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 20. You can find this passage in the Blue Pew Bible on page 261. Listen as I read God's word. Be careful to follow every command I am going to give you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way on the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig, fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where Bread will not be scarce, and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron, and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat and in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. 
you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed like the nations the Lord destroyed before you. So you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Here ends the reading. Good morning, everyone. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is John. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Elmwood. And as we come to this portion of scripture that may not be familiar to uh, many of us, from the book of Deuteronomy, I'd like to ask you to join me in a word of prayer. Praise the Lord, my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom, you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, the vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. All creatures look to you, to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the works of the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. Praise the Lord, my soul, praise the Lord. God, this morning we praise you for being our generous and wise creator. God, we praise you as the one who owns everything. And we ask that as we think about the subject of money today and specifically the subject of ownership, that you would help us understand rightly. Give us wisdom into this passage. Give us eyes to see. We pray that you, Holy Spirit, would even in this moment be opening our eyes and opening our hearts to help us see Jesus more clearly. We desire to be wise stewards. We desire to be generous. We desire to have a relationship with money that is according to your design. And so we pray for your wisdom, oh God. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, 
Amen. Well, we all experience times of scarcity, and we all experience times of abundance. As I look back over my life, I can think of a couple different seasons where those words felt very appropriate. When I was in late high school, early college, I worked at a grocery store. I had worked there for a number of years already at that time, and I was in a department that paid me a lot of money. And of course, as a young single guy, that was 100% essentially expendable income. Even after I left the house and moved in with some friends into an apartment and was going to college, uh, we split that apartment four ways so it wasn't all that expensive and still had more income than I knew what to do with. And that season of my life uh, was one of abundance. And of course, looking back, should I have viewed all that money as expendable? Absolutely not. <laughs> And of course, as I you know, look back, I could wish that I could go back and do it again, knowing what I know now. But that season for me was one of abundance. A couple years later after that, about five years later, I was newly married. I was working part-time, taking a part-time salary in ministry at a different church, and we were paying off loads of credit card debt that I had accumulated while I was in grad school. I was not working, I chose to just be a student, and uh, racked up a whole bunch of credit card debt, and that for us was a season of incredible scarcity. We had zero room for margin in our budget. I remember for, I think, about a year, we used, the, uh, used our cell phones as hotspots because we couldn't afford internet. Uh, we cut back on everything, and it was a time, uh, those first couple years of being married, a time of incredible scarcity. And you can probably think of other seasons in your life as well. There are seasons of scarcity and seasons of abundance. We all experience those. And even here today, in this moment, there are some in our church family who are in a season of abundance. Money is not a problem for you. Some of you are very well off. There are opportunities that you can have. There are experiences. There's travels. There's vacations. There's things that you can do that other people can't. Even in the midst of the inflation we're experiencing, for some of you, it hasn't really caused your budget to become a whole lot tighter than it actually is, normally. Others of us maybe find ourselves in a season of more scarcity, where budget is tight. Maybe you are on a fixed income, and you are dealing with the fixed income plus the increase in inflation, and it feels like the screws are being tightened. Sometimes uh, there may be some of you who basically pray over your car every time you get into it because you cannot afford for anything to break on it, right? So there are those of us even in our own church family right in this moment who find ourselves somewhere along that scarcity and abundance spectrum. Now, as I was thinking about this, one of the things that strikes me is that I think our instinct is naturally, we, we, we just by instinct say scarcity is bad and abundance is good. Right? By, by instinct. Scarcity is a bad thing. Abundance is a good thing. And as we come to this passage in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses would say to us, not so fast. The world is a little bit more complex than that. After all, in this passage, you see that they are described as wandering in the wilderness. And the wilderness was a place of blessing for God's people because God's presence was with them. They're going to go into a land of excess and abundance, and God says it's going to be a place of testing for them. 
So it's just not as simple as to say that scarcity is always bad and abundance is always good. The world is simply more complex than that. Today we are starting a new series of messages where we are talking about the subject of money. I just want to make a a commitment, a promise to you on the front end of this. Uh, Every time we talk about money, I I hope that you know that this is is our intention. Uh, Zero guilt, zero shame, zero manipulation. Okay, some of you have been a part of churches or organizations where those things were sort of in the water and it's miserable and it doesn't actually work. It may work in the short term, but guilt and manipulation will never lead us to experience God's design for money the way that we're designed to. It will never lead us to experience a relationship with money and possessions in the way that we are designed to if the tactics that are used are guilt and manipulation. Now, there may be times during this series where you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's different. But the tactics that we use, the way that we talk about money, our promise to you is that there will be no guilt, no shame, and no manipulation in the way that we talk about money. It's my prayer that as we, uh, as a church family, it would be true of us that when you show up here on Sunday and you realize that we're talking about money, that there would not be a sinking feeling in your stomach. That there would not be a sort of natural sort of barrier that gets put up. Oh, great, here we go, talking about money again. My prayer and my hope is that for us as a church family, as we talk well about money and everything the Bible says about it, that we would actually be people who want to lean in to what the Bible has to say about our money. People that that come to the scripture with expectation for what God wants us to see and know and experience by relating to money the way that he has designed. So that's our promise, no guilt, no shame, no manipulation. Over these next four weeks, we're going to be uh, looking at the subjects of ownership, stewardship, generosity, and tithing. Okay, that's where we're headed. So today we're thinking about the subject of ownership. We believe it's important to start here. We can't talk about stewardship, we can't talk about generosity if we don't first talk about who owns everything. Who owns your stuff? Who owns your money in the first place? So this is where we start thinking about the subject of ownership. So Deuteronomy provides a framework for us in this passage for how we are to think about scarcity and abundance, and it's all centered around this command to remember. As you Think back on the passage being read just a moment ago. You can uh, remember the the numerous times that the word remember came up. And actually the central part of this, the central verse in this chapter is verse 11. It says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. So the central command of this passage is do not forget. Remember the Lord your God. So what is it that we are supposed to remember? Well, first, in times of scarcity, remember what you actually have. That's the first thing we see in this passage. In times of scarcity, when you're living through a season that may feel like a financial wasteland or wilderness, in times of scarcity, remember what you actually have. Deuteronomy 8 is one of these passages that will help prepare us for seasons of scarcity. Or if you find yourself in the midst of a season of scarcity today, this is a passage that can help reshape and sort of reframe your thinking maybe around this to have a healthier relationship with it. Much of what's described in Deuteronomy 8 is talking about God's people and their experience in the wilderness, and Moses tells us all kinds of things that were still true about them, things that they still possessed even in the midst of the wilderness, and the first of those things is they still had, even in the wilderness, even in scarcity, they still had the guiding presence of God. Verse 2, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you 
in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Imagine being one of the people that God led out of slavery in Egypt. You've just watched God miraculously overthrow your enemies, overthrow the most powerful military on the planet and lead you out of slavery, lead you out of a land of death, only to lead you into a different land of death, to lead you into the wilderness. And really, I mean, you're in Egypt, and yes, you're slaves, but there's at least some amount of security in that. There's no lack of food or water in Egypt, but you go into the wilderness, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, we left with the clothes on our backs, and we're in the middle of the desert. There's no food. There's no water. What are we going to do next? So in the midst of this land of death, in the midst of the land of scarcity, the people still had the guiding presence of God with them. For 40 years, God never left his people. Not only this, they also had the generous provision of God. Listen to verse three. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. So even during that season of the wilderness, God still generously provided for the needs of his people. And that was in spite of their continual and incessant complaining and grumbling about their circumstances. They did nothing to earn God's generous provision, and yet in the face of all of their rebellion against God, in the face of their rebellion against Moses as their leader, God still generously provided for them. Now, it was not exactly what they would have had if they had the choice. Okay, they got this flaky little stuff called manna, which is a word that means, what is it? Okay, so if they had their choice, they would not be in the desert eating flakes of a food called, what is it? They would choose something different. And yet, in spite of that, we're told that God still generously and graciously provided for their needs those entire 40 years, and that he caused their clothes not to wear out. So even in the midst of the wilderness, they still had the generous provision of God. Not only this, they had the gracious deliverance of God. The text says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Otherwise, verse 14, your hearts will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. God delivered them from Egypt. God delivered them from starvation and death by causing life to come out of a land where no life can exist on its own, humanly speaking anyways. Not only this, God delivered his people from themselves. This language that's used here of, talks about these venomous snakes that should draw our minds back to a different part of the Old Testament. If we're careful Bible readers, we should have some sort of hyperlinks, glowing blue hyperlinks, drawing us back to the book of Numbers, chapter 21. I'm just going to read you these few verses because they're so important. Numbers, chapter 21, verse Four says, they traveled from Mount Hor along the way to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? 
There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We've sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. The people grumbled and complained against God. God brought his judgment on the people, sending these venomous snakes. And then, when the people cried out to God, even though they did not deserve it, they were there in the first place because of their own rebellion and sin, even then, God made a way for their sin not to be counted against them. He said, make a bronze snake and hoist it up on a pole. And anyone who looks at this snake, when they get bitten, they're not going to die. It takes trust to do something that insane, right? In the midst of the wilderness, oh, you know, no, no sense finding some sort of cure for this. Why don't you just make a bronze snake and hold it on a pole and look at it? That's going to save you from the snakes, <laughs> So it took an incredible amount of faith and anyone who looked upon that bronze serpent in faith believing that God would heal them, God did. And so in the midst of the wilderness, God made a way for their sin to be covered, for their sin not to be counted against them. God delivered them from themselves. So we see here in this passage very clearly, we see the guiding presence of God is still with his people. In scarcity, they still had the generous provision of God. They still had the gracious deliverance of God, even in the midst of this land of scarcity. And friends, the good news is that in Jesus, we do not have less than they had. In fact, we have far more than they had. In Jesus, God has made a way for his presence to dwell with us through his spirit. Jesus told his disciples, it is better that I go, that I leave you. God himself is presence has come into our world, taken on flesh in the person of Jesus, and God himself says, it's better that I leave you. And the reason is, because when I leave, my Holy Spirit is going to come be with you. You see, in the wilderness, God's presence was located, it was confined to one location. It was in the cloud, it was in the fire, it was in the, the tabernacle. Even in the person of Jesus, the presence of God was confined into one location in the person of Jesus. And Jesus says, when I send my spirit, I will distribute my presence wherever my people are. So the very presence of God is with us through the spirit as we trust in Jesus. So in Jesus, we still have the presence of God with us in the spirit. We also have the generous provision of God. I don't want to spend too long on this because I, I, I don't want this to feel like uh, heaping guilt on anybody. But friends, we are so incredibly privileged to live in the time and the place where we live. Never in the history of the world have so many resources been so accessible to so many people. What we in our context consider to be a life of scarcity or even a life of poverty. Most people alive on the planet and virtually everybody in the history of the world 
has viewed as a life of abundance. God has poured out his mercy on us and we have so many resources and so many things that are available to us today. We also experience the generous, abundant, excessive provision of God. And also we experience in Jesus the greater deliverance. We experience the greater exodus than even they experienced. And interestingly, the verse in the New Testament, this may be the most famous verse in the whole Bible, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Most people, whether you're a believer, a follower of Jesus or not, you know this verse. But John 3, 14 and 15 are less well known. It's where Jesus, immediately before this, says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, that everyone who believes on him may have eternal life. So Jesus is saying, you remember that time in the wilderness when God made provision for the sins of his people? when he made it possible for the sins of the people to be not counted against them, and it was because they looked at this thing that was hoisted up on a pole, and when they looked upon it in faith, God made a way for their sin to be covered. Jesus says, I'm going to suffer and die on a Roman cross. I'm going to be lifted up. And anyone who looks upon me in faith will experience the same kind of deliverance except better than what they experienced in the wilderness. And so in Jesus, we have equal to and far better than that generation in the wilderness had. We have the guiding presence of God. We have the generous provision of God. We have the gracious deliverance of God. And this completely reframes and reshapes the way that we think about times of scarcity. We have to remember that even in the midst of the seasons of scarcity, when things are hard, when money is tight, when it looks like we don't know how things are going to work out, even in those moments, we have to remember the abundant, generous, gracious gifts that God has given us. We have to remember what it is we still possess, even in the midst of those times of scarcity. So in times of scarcity, remember what you actually have. But secondly, what we see in this text is this. We see in times of abundance, on the other hand, remember the true source of your wealth. Listen to verse 7. The Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. And he lists all this great stuff about the land that I won't repeat. Verse 10, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, When your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your hearts will become proud and you will forget the Lord, your God. So Moses says, God is bringing you into this land that is filled with abundance, it's filled with excess. And once you get there, and once you begin to experience the excess that God is going to pour out on you, don't forget where it comes from. Don't forget where it comes from. And you see the vicious cycle that he describes here. Don't forget the Lord your God, because when you forget God, what happens? You become proud. When you become proud, what happens? You forget God. When you forget God, what happens? You become proud. When you become proud, what happens? 
you forget God, right? So you see the, the vicious cycle of the person who doesn't remember where the source of their wealth comes from. And if we live in the land of excess, if we experience excess and we experience abundance and we forget God in the midst of it, we will begin to believe the lie that we see here in verse 17. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. It's because of my work, it's because of my effort, it's because of my intelligence, it's because of my initiative, it's because of my talent, it's because of all of the things that I have done, I have generated all of this good stuff for myself. Look at what I have accomplished for myself. And God reminds us, verse 18, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Don't forget where all of the wealth and all the abundance comes from. And when you say, look at what I have accomplished for myself, remember that it is God who even gives you the ability to earn and create wealth in the first place. Friends, this is the bedrock foundation of our understanding of money. We can't go on to talk about stewardship. We can't go on to talk about generosity or tithing or anything else until we have been firmly grounded in the reality that God owns everything. God is the owner of all things. And we have to remember that. We have to live in that reality. God owns everything. All of the money, all the possessions, all of the ability to even earn money in the first place, all of that is given to us as a gracious gift from God. We live in his world, and as we'll begin to see next week, we have been called to live as stewards of his resources. We have to remember where it all comes from. What we believe about ownership will bend our hearts in one of two directions. If we believe that God owns everything, or on the other hand, that we own everything, Believing either of those will bend our hearts in one of two directions. And there's no, there's no person who's sort of uh, neutral in this. Okay? Everybody's heart is continually being bent in one of two directions. Either towards thankfulness and contentment. Where we can look around at our circumstances, we can look around at the abundance that God has poured out on us. We can look at the abundance that we see in the world around us. And we can see that we are created as physical beings in a physical world and God desires us to experience and to enjoy his good world. There's all the pleasures and all the experiences. There's all of this good stuff that God desires for us to experience. And he so generously poured out his mercy on us, poured out his abundance on us. And so we live with an overwhelming sense of thankfulness to God because we remember where it all comes from. It is a gift from God. And so we live with a sense of thankfulness. We live with a sense that everything that we have, everything that we may have in the future is a gift from our good Father. Our lives will be shaped and bent towards thankfulness and contentment. Contentment when we recognize that God has given us, has promised that he will give us every good thing that we need. And so often... (laughs) We, in our very affluent, very wealthy context, we confuse wants and needs, right? Well, I need to have this, I need to have that, and it's really just something that we really want. God promises that he will give us every good thing that we truly 
need. And so what that means is that in times of scarcity, we remember who he is. We remember that he is a good father and that he loves us. And he loves to give good gifts to his kids. And he promises that he will give us everything we need for our enjoyment, also for our formation as his followers. And so when we come to a season of scarcity, we trust him. Because we say, okay, God, I, this doesn't make sense to me. There's all the stuff that I want or that I need or that I think I need. But I know who you are. I know that you do not leave us out to dry. I know that you delight to provide every good thing that we need. And so if I don't have it, I'm trusting you that I don't need it. And we live with a sense of contentment because even in scarcity, we remember what we actually have. We remember that in the midst of any scarcity we may experience, we still have God himself. And if he is the one that our hearts actually delight in, if he is the one our hearts actually treasure and not just his stuff, then it means that even in the midst of scarcity, we can say, I can be content. I can be content with what I have because I have him. Even if I don't have all the other stuff, I can be content. My heart can be satisfied because I have him. And this is the direct result of us believing in our hearts that God is the owner of all things, that God owns everything. And so everything we have is a gift. It means our hearts and our lives are going to be bent towards thankfulness and contentment. On the other hand, our lives may be bent towards presumption and discontentment. If we believe that we own our stuff, that it's my effort, that's my money, it's my resources, if we believe that, even functionally, you know, we may not say that, but if we actually functionally in the way that we live believe that, it's going to bend our hearts towards presumption. We're going to go to bed every night assuming that God's going to give us another day. We're going to wake up every morning assuming that all the good things I had yesterday, God's going to provide those same things for me today. And what can happen is we become so accustomed to excess. We become so accustomed to the good things that God has poured out on us that we expect them. We become so accustomed to excess that we, that we come to expect it. And when we don't have it, that's when we fall into discontentment. We live lives where our hearts crave after money and material possessions. This is what will happen. Our hearts will be bent either towards thankfulness and contentment or towards presumption and a deep sense of discontentment. And friends, the point is this, that the kind of people we are becoming is directly related to our view of ownership. The kinds of people that we are becoming, our character, what we are being formed into is directly related to who we believe owns all things. If it's God, our lives will be bent towards thankfulness and contentment. If we believe that we own everything, our lives will be bent towards presumption and discontentment. The kind of people we're becoming is directly related to our view of ownership. It's, got, it's not good news that God owns everything if God is stingy, right? If God is, for whatever reason, 
Like maybe an angry father who says, oh, you did that, now I'm going to withhold this good thing from you as punishment. If that's what God is like, if he's stingy, then his ownership is not good news for us at all. But the good news is we know what kind of God he is. And what this passage shows us is that he is a God who desires to plant his people in a place of abundance. Think about this with me for a moment. God could have said, you know, there's this big open area, this big open desert area where it seems like nobody else wants to live. I'm going to plant my people there. I'm going to lead my people out of Egypt. I'm going to plant them in the desert. And while they're there, because no one else wants that land, no one's going to come fighting them. No one's going to come attack them. They're going to be relatively safe. They'll have this land all to themselves. And I'll continue to miraculously and graciously provide for my people in such a way that they will constantly be reminded that everything they have comes from me. God could have chosen to plant his people in the, in the wilderness, in the desert, and he didn't. God desired, God delighted to plant his people in the land of excess and abundance where they not only had their needs provided for, but over-provided for. They had more than they actually needed. This was God's heart. His desire was not to plant his people in a place of scarcity, but to plant them in a place of abundance. This shows us that he is a generous father. He delights to give us every good thing that we need. And you know, you you think of this passage and, and you hear Moses talking about how God provided food and clothing for them. Food and clothing, food and clothing. Then you're reading the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is talking about money. And he says, is life not more than food? Is life not more than clothing? And he points us to the fact that we live in a fathered world, where we have a good, generous, heavenly father who delights to pour out his abundance on us. And he calls us to look at the birds and look at creation and to see God's provision and to see God's abundance and excess everywhere in the world around us. And he calls us to believe and to know that that God is our Heavenly Father and he delights to give us every good thing that we need. God did not choose to plant his people in the wilderness. He chose to plant them in the promised land that was filled with abundance and filled with excess. They didn't deserve it. It was potentially a trap for them. And yet God's heart was to plant them there instead of in the wilderness. So God delights to give us every good thing that we need. And yet we also remember that he is a God whose presence can turn even the wilderness into a place of blessing. We have to have those two things side by side. God delights to give us every good thing we need. He delights for us to experience abundance. And his presence alone can turn a place of scarcity a place of death, a place of wilderness into a place of abundance, into a place of blessing. Wherever God is, wherever we are in our lives and whatever season we're experiencing, God's presence with us is what we most desperately need. And God promises that I will be with you. And it's his presence with us that makes the times of scarcity into a place of blessing. And so we remember, this is the kind of God he is. He is a generous father. He's overflowing with goodness. He delights, he desires to give us more than we need, 
even though half the time we waste it and squander it and don't thank him for it, he still delights to pour out his goodness on us and give us more than we need because he's a generous father. And so as we come to the communion table today, as we do each week, we're reminded that the cross of Jesus and what we get to experience here as we partake of communion, this is the clearest demonstration of the kind of God he is. It's the clearest demonstration of how deeply committed to us he is, how deeply he loves us. It's a demonstration of his abundant, overflowing generosity poured out onto us that he would give us everything, including his own son. And that God himself in the person of Jesus would take on human flesh and would come into our world in order to suffer and die in our place so that our sins would not be counted against us. So that we would be forgiven so that God's presence can come be with us. And it's the communion table where we get to be reminded of the generous, good heart of our Father who desperately loves us. And so we come here today as we do each week And we come to him, who's the one who owns all things, who's been so generous to us, and we respond in faith. We respond in faith by receiving the broken body and shed blood of Jesus and declaring, I trust you. Just like the snake in the wilderness, we look to Jesus. We look to him in faith. And we trust him as our good heavenly father. As we come to the communion table today, I want to invite you to pause for a moment of silent confession and reflection. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, in word, and in deed by the things that we have done as well as by the things that we have left undone. We confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart, mind, and strength, and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, we confess today how often we receive the overflowing abundance of your hand and give no thought to thankfulness. Lord, we confess all the ways that we receive from you the good gifts that you give us. And Lord, we confess that our hearts are not often, certainly not often enough, filled with gratitude and thankfulness for your generous provision. Lord, we confess the ways that we have become accustomed to excess. We confess the ways that we have confused wants and needs. We confess the discontent, Lord, that lives inside of us that would leave us to shop more, to buy more things, to work more hours, to get more money, to get more stuff. Lord, we confess the discontent that lives inside of us. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness and we ask for the presence and the work of your Holy Spirit to help reshape our hearts to bend our hearts towards thankfulness and contentment. In your mercy, O God, we pray that you would forgive what we have been, that you would help us amend what we are, and that you would direct what we shall be 
so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. And all God's people said, amen.